0: Welcome to Distrust and Disparities, Dismantling Black Health Disparities Podcast. We examine health disparities that disproportionately affect Black women and Black families. In addition, we amplify organizations and individuals working to dismantle racist health practices and systems to improve health outcomes for marginalized communities. I'm your host, Jasmine Moore. A registered nurse, and I'm joined by my good friend and co-host Camille
1: White. It's hard. I, I'm, I'm
0: missing milestones, Just for me, and my daughter. That's all I'm asking. Just allow the truth
1: to prevail. In this episode, we cover the troubling case of Jocelyn McLean, a black woman who spent nearly a year in prison after being wrongfully charged for the death of her newborn. And we highlight Dr. Joy Carter, a distinguished Black female forensic pathologist working to address racial bias in the field of forensic pathology and medical examiners.
0: Welcome back to another episode of Distress and Disparities podcast. We are excited to be back. Yes. And (laughs) this week, We wanted to discuss uh, racial bias in the field of pathology. And before we jump into this episode, I want to give you guys some quick definitions and also clear up some things because even I had to do some fact checking and make sure I was on the same page. So just some quick definitions. Pathology is a broad study in the field of medicine and forensic pathology, I'll break down the term. Forensic implies the application of scientific methods or techniques to a criminal investigation and pathology refers to the scientific study of the cause and outcomes of a disease. So put that together, forensic pathology is, you know, just studying what led up to the person's death, especially if there was some suspicious activity. and. A medical examiner is a medical doctor that examines bodies after death to determine the cause of death, and it's usually under suspicious or criminal circumstances. And I know a lot of people use medical examiner and also coroner interchangeably. I know we all watch our true crime shows, our SVU, but there is a big difference between medical examiners and coroners. Coroners, they often collect a deceased body from a crime scene and they bring it in for investigation. A coroner is an elected or appointed official who works closely with the sheriff's department to officially certify the cause of death. I know I was one of the ones that thought medical examiner and coroners were two in the same, but I'm glad we looked this up and just clarified things. What about yourself, Camille?
1: Yeah, <laughs> I felt the same way where uh, they are used interchangeably, I guess, for, you know, the everyday citizen or people who aren't involved in that field. Do You think that they both would have, you know, a medical degree and they both are sort of acting in the same way. You know, just sometimes uh, one word is used over the other. But, yeah, those are clear mm-hmm. differences. And mm-hmm. then, if anything, too, the fact that a coroner is an elected Or appointed official is just like, okay, so there's politics involved. We're not just talking in the world of science now. There are politics in that.
0: Yep. And even with the medical examiner, they have to work closely with detectives and also get information from the hospital. But like we said, the medical examiner, they have that medical degree. They're trained in pathology Mm -hmm. and they're supposed to apply scientific methods and techniques. Mm -hmm. So just keep that in the back of your mind. It's supposed to be based on science. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And also just wanted to point out the trial of George Floyd was a part of the catalyst of shedding light on racial biases, specifically in the forensic medical field. The original autopsy report for George Floyd classified his death as a homicide, and it also listed heart disease, fentanyl, and methamphetamine as contributing factors to George Floyd's death. The family hired two separate forensic scientists to conduct their own autopsies. And both of them said that an asphyxiation, which is the deprivation of oxygen, was the cause of death. And they placed the blame squarely on the police officers involved. and. We'll jump right into during the trial of the officer, Derek Chauvin, who was on video camera caught kneeling on George Floyd's neck for a total of eight minutes and 46 seconds. Derek Chauvin's defense lawyers, they brought in Dr. David R. Fowler, and he is considered one of the country's top forensic pathologists. And he's also former chief medical examiner for the state of Maryland. And as y'all know, we from Maryland. If y'all don't know. If you don't know, now you do. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Just throwing that in there. But So, Dr. Fowler, he testified that George Floyd's medical conditions were the main cause of his death. He even took it a step further and theorized that the emissions from the squad car's tailpipe were also a contributing factor to his demise. And he stated that he would have classified the manner of death as undetermined rather than a homicide. He didn't mention anything about somebody kneeling on your Wind pipes for a total of eight minutes, what that could do to your yeah. airways and getting oxygen to your brain and vital organs. But he had all these other theories that he put together and mm.
1: set up there and just said a bunch of nonsense because that whole thing of like, oh, people have other pre-existing conditions and They've done other things in their lives. Yes, but they're still alive. They were still there. Mm -hmm. And then something else happened. That's people wanting to say that with COVID, people had all these pre-existing conditions and then they got COVID and then unfortunately passed away, where they don't want to acknowledge that COVID because they're deniers of just the whole pandemic, really, that COVID is what caused their death. And it's just like, well, they had all these other issues going on. Yeah, they had all those other issues. And they were still Mm -hmm. walking around living, breathing, and existing in this world. COVID Mm -hmm. is what killed them. Just like it was the knee, the knee of a grown ass man on the back of his neck killing him, not the emissions from a damn tailpipe of a car. You gotta be kidding me. I can't
0: even believe what I read. And just his testimony, it just caused so much outrage. Like I said, Pathology, medical forensics is supposed to be founded in scientific research and evidence. You are jumping to conclusions Mm -hmm. to help the defense. Mm -hmm. Is that's just ridiculous. And because of his testimony, it opened up a whole new can of worms. So more than 400 medical experts, they signed an open letter contending that Dr. Fowler's testimony in Derek Chauvin's case had revealed obvious bias and raised malpractice concerns about how his office had handled similar cases. The state of Maryland officials announced just this October 2022 that they are going to have bring in experts to review autopsy files of over 100 people who died and law enforcement custody to see if medical examiners exhibited racial bias or were slanted in favor of law enforcement. So we're going to follow up on the results of this review and just see what bringing in outside experts to look at these cases, what they determine,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and just see how racial biases play effect in how medical examiners, you know, perform their autopsies. Like, do their racial biases have an effect on the outcome of the cause of death and things like that? But clearly with his testimony, like you said, it points out clear racial biases. And Mm -hmm. that could be a whole separate episode. Maybe once we get the results of this report, we will follow up. But let's jump into this week's main story which also clearly highlights how racial bias in the medical field has devastating consequences. So for our main story, we want to cover Jocelyn McLean and the death of her baby girl. So Jocelyn McLean, she's a Black woman. She was 29 years old when she gave birth to her third child. Emberly McLean Bernard in rural Mississippi, and this took place on September 14th, 2016. Jocelyn, she had to have a C-section, and the C-section was performed at University of Mississippi Medical Center, and Emberly was born six weeks premature, which resulted in some medical complications. However, Emberly was released from the hospital in only six days. And she weighed only five pounds when she was discharged from the hospital. To me, that seems like she was released a little bit too soon. But my expertise is not in neonates. But to me, it seems like she was released a little too early. And according to her mom, Jocelyn, Baby Emberly, she barely cried and she barely ate. Only two days after being discharged from the hospital, on the evening of September twenty-first, Jocelyn she reported that she heard Emberly make two loud screeching sounds that startled her. She noticed that her baby girl she appeared to be grasping for air. So Jocelyn she rushed to the nearest hospital, and while en route to the closest hospital, she called 911 to let them know that she was on her way with her child and having breathing difficulties. And according to Jocelyn, the child was already turning blue en route to the hospital. By the time Jocelyn got to the hospital, the hospital staff was aware that Jocelyn was coming in with her baby and they immediately met her and they started to perform CPR as soon as the baby arrived, and the baby was in respiratory distress. Some of the ven- interventions that the hospital performed on baby Emberly during this cold situation so, with CPR, they started chest compressions. So, with chest compressions, trying to stimulate the heart, they also inserted several IVs. And from experience, just inserting IVs on a child is tough but it's even harder during a cold situation. So they had to place an IV in her neck and also in her scalp. They also, because she was in respiratory distress, she wasn't breathing. They inserted a breathing tube to pump oxygen into her lungs. And they also had to insert a rectal thermometer. And that's so that they can get accurate temperatures on the child. So these are just some of the interventions that they were Doing to try to revive baby Emberly. And the hospital emergency team, they spent four hours trying to revive baby Emberly. And the hospital staff was joined in their efforts by the emergency flight team from Memphis Children's Medical Center. They wanted to airlift baby Emberly to a specialized children's hospital, but unfortunately, they weren't able to stabilize the child in order to airlift her to the children's hospital. Despite the extensive resuscitation efforts, baby Emberly, she did not survive. She was pronounced dead on September 22nd, 2016. She was only eight days old. I'll chime in, coding a baby, coding anyone. Is very hard, you know, trying to do life-saving measures such as like CPR to help get the heart pumping or just to get them breathing and stabilized is a lot. And four hours is a long time to be coding anyone. So the emergency team, they went above and beyond to do everything that they could to revive the child. And unfortunately... The child did not survive.
1: And of course, with Emberly not surviving, Jocelyn was distraught over the death of her newborn. And she wanted, of course, herself to see what the results of an autopsy would be to understand, you know, well, what happened to my child? What was the cause of her death? And although the autopsy apparently was performed on the 23rd of September, 2016. So literally the next day after Emberley died, it wasn't until one year and two months later on November 29th, 2017, that a Dr. Brent Davis of the Mississippi State Medical Examiner's Office issued his final report on the autopsy. So, you know, just keep that in mind that, you know, the autopsy was performed the next day, but mm-hmm. the findings and final report will not released until over a year later.
0: Yeah. And that makes no sense. And I tried to look up more information about why it took so long, why to release. And there was just not that much details on why it took a whole year to release the final reports. I know they had like a backlog of. Autopsies and cases, but a whole year later.
1: A whole year later, and then, for what came out of the findings is even mm-hmm. more troubling of, like, uh, there are so many questions." So in this final report, Dr. Brent Davis, the medical examiner, he concluded that the death had not occurred because of a medical problem, And he stated that Emberly's death was due to blunt force trauma with features of strangulation. And therefore, he declared the death a homicide. So what? That that doesn't make <laughs> right. any sense. That 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 don't make any sense. And then on top of that, he didn't even offer any other alternative explanations for Emberley's condition. N- nothing else was offered. Nothing else was, you know, oh, this could have been a potential whatever. This could have been. You said blunt force trauma. She was strangled. And Mm -hmm. it's a clear homicide. And again, this wasn't released until over a year later. So now we're at in 2017, late 2017. And by this point, Jocelyn was pregnant with her fourth child. And, you know, originally they were living in Mississippi. Jocelyn, Mm -hmm. her family had moved to Georgia. Sometime in this process too, within this year, and then within that whole year between 2016 and 17, and moving to georgia the georgia child protective services opened a case on the family
0: yeah and i believe they opened the case before she even got the results of the autopsy so she's wondering why child protective services is coming around mm-hmm. and they couldn't tell her like the full reason and you know they made it seem like somebody had harmed baby emberly yeah and they didn't release that you know that she was the person of interest they were just coming around we were like we have to investigate investigate you know your family
1: mm-hmm. and then they were even to the point where while investigating that case they opened on her she had to have supervised visits with her kids through cps So Mm -hmm. again, like, this is all very troubling where you're not informing this woman what occurred and the way you're going about It's just it's so it feels reckless and like you really don't care truly about her or her children. Mm -hmm. So based on the medical examiner's report. Stephen Jubera, the assistant district attorney for the county of Mississippi where Jocelyn used to live, brought charges against her. And so, again, the timeline is just like, it takes a while for a lot of stuff. But then it was on April 16th in 2019 that a grand jury indicted Jocelyn for capital murder. Mm -hmm. And an arrest warrant was issued accusing Jocelyn of causing the death of her daughter, while, quote, engaged in the commission of felonious child abuse. Mm -hmm. Jocelyn was arrested on May 30th, 2019. And that was after, you know, the uh, arrest warrant was issued. She turned herself in. And again, when this all came out, originally the final report, she was pregnant. So now her Mm -hmm. youngest child is one years old and she's having to turn herself in because they're claiming now that she murdered her baby, her third child, Emberly, in 2016. And yeah, it just blows Can you my mind. Like your
0: child died a year ago suddenly, and you don't know what the cause was. And then a year later, they're coming to arrest you and blame you for the death of your own child. You're still grieving the loss of yes. your child. You're raising. Two other young kids. And mm-hmm. then and on top of that, they're coming in and accusing you of murdering your own child.
1: Yeah. So, of course, Jocelyn was, like, stunned. Even the emergency room doctors, they were shocked that she was charged. Because it's just like, we saw that baby. We mm-hmm. We tried to save that baby. And right. we don't know what y'all are talking about. And... They labeled, the prosecutor labeled Jocelyn as a monster and denied her bond and claimed that she was a danger to her children and a flight risk. And this is just, like, she had no criminal history. So what are you talking about? And then also, did y'all ever talk to the Georgia CPS? Because... They were investigating her. They would have been able to confirm whether or not she was an actual danger to her other kids like you claim she was. Mm
0: -hmm. And she turned herself in. It's not like you had to go hunting for her. No.
1: And she turned herself in from another state. She Mm -hmm. came back to Mississippi. In what Mm -hmm. world is she a flight risk? And, of course, we're in, you know, (laughs) the marvelous state of Mississippi where a capital murder conviction can lead to the death penalty or life in prison. So big, big deal all around. Also, because of that, I think prosecutors and usually I think how it goes in situations of trials, you want to offer plea deals so you can avoid a trial, avoid the expense of a trial, the, the time spent on a trial. And they made several plea deals to Jocelyn. And she even even though she knew she was innocent, she knew she did nothing wrong to her baby. She considered Mm -hmm. them because she had three other kids. So she's thinking they're offering her, here's some time in, and then eventually you'll get parole. Eventually you'll get out. Eventually you'll get to see your kids. Or the fact too, that like she could end up with the death penalty. Mm -hmm. Then she's thinking, well, maybe I just have to go sit in prison and I can still be alive to in some way be there for my other kids.
0: Yeah. A criminal investigation being in jail, being away from your children and your family, that can wear on you. So So much. When you're contemplating taking this case to trial, even though you know you did not harm your child, it's like, do I take the risk of going to court? And Mm -hmm. even though I know I did not harm my child, if I lose, I will never see my other children again. I could possibly be dead myself. So it's like, you're Even though you know you didn't do anything, you're contemplating, like, what can I do to get out of this situation, to get out of jail the soonest? How can I be with my family? And so mm-hmm. they're offering all these plea deals and you're, like, contemplating it.
1: And especially in a situation where, like, you don't have money to then mm-hmm. go out and get some fancy lawyer who can maybe make all these promises or at least tell you like, no, we have a fighting chance because yeah. if she, she had on a
0: public defender,
1: yeah, yeah. she you're completely relying on them. And luckily we'll discuss more, but like her public defender did their job and, and mm-hmm. really helped her out. And the problem with relying on a public defender is that they are overworked and underpaid. So yeah. a lot of things do slip through the cracks with, public defenders because they're trying to help so many people when they barely have the resources to do that. Mm-hmm. And luckily because of Jocelyn's mother, her mother was like, "Uh-uh, you are you are innocent and we will fight this and she did not take any of the plea deals that were offered. And while she was in jail, you know, no bond, she spoke with her kids on the phone every single day and she again, turned herself in May 30th. In December 2019, she finally got to see her youngest child. And what was so sad, and I remember I wanted to point this out, is that her child walked past her not realizing that that was her mom. She didn't recognize Jocelyn because she had been away from her for so long, and especially such a young age. Mm -hmm. So I think that even maybe motivated her even more like, no, I have to fight this because my baby doesn't even know me. Yeah. And ultimately, in total, Jocelyn spent 10 months and 23 days in jail before her bond was finally set. So on April 23rd, 2020, she posted the hundred thousand dollar bond and went back to Georgia to be with her family and children. But, you know, on top of that bond, she had to pay more than $300 a month for GPS monitoring. So they're going to get you one way or another. Right. And it's just so sad because, again, this system is set up in a way where d- if she didn't have any money to, say, even get out, say she did have a bond originally, she would be stuck there. If she didn't have the money to pay this monthly bill for GPS tracking, she would be stuck there. Mm-hmm. The whole system is just so rigged in such a way where they do demonize poor people because they're mm-hmm. the ones that then are stuck in jail for, like, years at a time because they don't have the funds to get out. And it's solely that because a lot of people then think, well, you know, if they're in there, they must be guilty. No, that's not how our system works. It says innocent until proven guilty.
0: hmm Yeah. But a lot of times, if you don't have the money to hire your own lawyers, If you don't have the money or the support to be able to post bail and Mm -hmm. to get out, you could be stuck in jail. And also, like, even if you did not do the crime, contemplating taking the plea deal so that you can get out because it's such a backlog of the cases.
1: And like I mentioned earlier, Jocelyn's public defender really was able to do such a great job in defending her. And in preparation for the trial, she reached out to the ER doctor to review the medical report and the autopsy. And he disputed everything in that autopsy report because he was just Mm -hmm. like, you know, I performed all these life-saving measures on this baby that night that she passed away. Like, I know what that baby looked like coming in. Mm -hmm. So Jocelyn's public defender, Tara Lang, Then brought on Dr. Joy Carter, a forensic pathologist, to review the case. And Dr. Carter reviewed the autopsy and showed that all of the baby's injuries could be explained by the medical team's desperate attempts to save her that night. Two
0: people, yeah. So you got disputing this autopsy, yes, and two.
1: Two doctors, two yes. doctors are coming in. Mm-hmm. The doctor who was there that night doing all these things to save that baby. And then another doctor who we said at the beginning, like very distinguished. We'll talk more about, you know, all of her experience looking at this report, looking at the medical report and the autopsy report and going, oh, no, every everything in here can be explained. I don't know what they're talking about. Right. And, Dr. Joy Carter even pointed out that this is an all too familiar pattern, quote, a medical examiner who made a ruling without talking to the doctor or even examining the hospital records, supervisors who signed off on his decision, a criminal justice system that all too often sends Black people to prison on evidence that might not have convicted someone else.
0: It should be noted that Jocelyn's attorney presented Dr. Carter's expert opinion to the state. In June 2020. The prosecutor said that they would send the report to the medical examiner so that they could re examine their original report. Apparently the report had to be resent on October first, 2021. The medical examiner claims that he didn't have the emergency room records until October first of twenty twenty one. And about two weeks before she was to go on trial, her trial was scheduled for October 11th, 2021. The medical examiner reversed his decision, citing newly presented medical information. He said that this information was not available to him at the time of the autopsy. So Mississippi's medical examiner, J. Brent Davis, he was forced to admit the truth that Jocelyn did not murder her newborn baby. And each and every injury that he cataloged in his autopsy report was attributable to the medical interventions by hospital personnel. And I talked about it in the beginning of the episode of the different interventions that the medical staff had to perform. And his autopsy report was egregiously false. It was just outlandishly false. Yes. And the Innocence Project, they conducted an investigation of Jocelyn's case. They made some great points. So the coroner stated that she hand-delivered the emergency records to the medical examiner. She delivered these reports on the same day that the body was delivered to the morgue. We said in the beginning that the autopsy was performed the day after Emberly died. And typically you would get all the information that you needed when the person comes down to the morgue. And if you didn't, as part of your job as medical examiner, you're supposed to request additional documentation, make sure you have hospital reports and all other reports before you come to your final conclusion. Mm -hmm. On top of that, when the body arrives to the morgue, all that medical equipment, the thermometer, the breathing tube, all that equipment comes with the body. Working in the ER and experiencing patients that pass away, we are told do not remove anything any tubes, any drains, anything that we put into the patient. All that has to go down with them when they are taken to the morgue. So the Mm -hmm. body came with these tubes in place. And a quote from the Innocence Project, they said, numerous invasive and traumatic interventions to save Emberly's life were obvious to Dr. Davis when he conducted the autopsy. The day after the newborn died in 2016, he photographed the condition of the baby's body, reflecting the presence of the extensive hospital equipment and dressings, and specifically noted in his report that she had a catheter in her leg and an endotracheal tube in her mouth, bandages on her neck and her forehead, and electrical cardiograph pads on her body. And Gauze taped to her arm. Yet, he jumped to the conclusion that she was strangled and that this was a homicide. So you're telling me that a normal person just has medical equipment lying in their home? Me as a nurse, besides like my stethoscope and maybe some band-aids and a thermometer, I don't have this type of medical equipment lying around in my house. Camille.
1: No, I wouldn't expect you to, because then I'd be like, what you operating outside of your house? Like, well, inside of your house. Like, what you got going on? You got you got home visits, people coming to you to get, you know, right. medical care. It's just so crazy that like they even can point out, like, you photographed the body. You saw the body literally mm-hmm. the next day. And nowhere in your mind were you like, oh, let me get those reports that you claim you didn't get. Cause that's also the crazy part. Is this medical examiner claiming that they didn't have their reports until literally years later, right right before she was supposed to go to trial?
0: Yeah. Even if you didn't have the report, you see that the baby has Mm -hmm. tubes, drains, Mm -hmm. you know, attached to her. Wouldn't it be like, oh, I need to request the report so I can put together the full picture? Like, this is a priority. Let me get the report so I can make the final determination.
1: Yes. And if anything, then too, it seems like you lost the report. And that's why it wasn't until a year and two months later that you even gave your first little raggedy autopsy findings. And then it feels like you just looked at, you know, the race of the mother, the race of the baby, of course, and like major determination there. You didn't go back and reread and look at your pictures and then go, wait a second, I'm missing a hospital report here. Let me go look at that. Right. Because there's this, all this time in between where it wasn't like you took all this time to really figure out what happened because you thought, you know, you were so confused and you were doing a huge investigation. It seems like you quickly did the autopsy, quickly wrote up whatever you wrote up. Clearly it wasn't enough. And then you came back over a year later And then just mindlessly was like, "Mm, this is a black woman. She probably did it. Mm, Let's just call it murder and move on. It's
0: crazy. And the Innocence Project, they point out that he declined to follow fundamental scientific principles and basic professional standards requiring evaluation and reporting of recent medical history as reflected by hospital records. And his autopsy report also never mentioned the fact that the culture that they took at the hospital was positive for the presence of a virus that could have contributed to the newborn's death. So he didn't document scientific evidence and facts in his report. And this woman is facing life in prison over a... Extremely false medical report. There are steps in place that are supposed to like prevent these things from happening. Like this report, it was signed off by two other people that work at the medical examiner's office. Like it's supposed to be reviewed and checked and followed up. But these checks and balances, obviously, either they didn't look at it, they just signed it off and just kept it moving because how else was you know it's not like you had to go back and change just one thing you had to change everything like the whole everything thing. that you documented you had to go back and reverse and say that all these findings that you said were related to homicide now you're tying them to the medical and interventions that the hospital performed this is just crazy it makes no sense. Like a woman could have been in jail for the rest of her life.
1: Or potentially even had she gone to trial, then been facing the death penalty since she was in Mississippi. Mm -hmm. Like you've got to be kidding me with like, it just seems so lazy of this medical Mm -hmm. examiner, the medical examiner's office to just treat what they did in such a way as like new information came to light. And now like, that new information was always available, and you just want to play it off as like, oh, I, I wasn't aware of that. When anyone, especially in your position, but anyone with like two brain cells they could rub together would see Emberly's body in that state and go, I got questions, and there has to be some reports that I'm missing, some information that would mm. fill in the blanks here. Instead, mm. he filled it in with whatever nonsense he came up with and then pointed the blame all to Jocelyn. Mm -hmm. And it's just, you've got to be kidding me. As
0: of June, 2022, the Innocence Project is filing a civil rights lawsuit on Jocelyn's behalf based on violations of her constitutional rights to be free from false arrests and fabricated evidence. And we'll follow this case as new evidence Presents itself and we'll be sure to post it because she can never get that time that she missed from her Mm -mm. family and her young kids at the time. And, you know, she was saying she keeps her kids away from social media and when her lawyer calls, she'll like tries to take the calls in a separate room because she just doesn't want her kids to know what she's gone through. But once Mm -hmm. they get older, they can look this up and just see all the horrible things that were said about their mom. So it's just crazy. And it
1: really is because I remember her even stating that like all her kids knew and were told is that she went away to work because she Mm -hmm. just didn't want to traumatize them. And the fact that, like, she was so unsure about what her fate was that it was like, I will just keep this all to myself like her mother knew. But the psychological stress and harm that they did to her and her family is just, yeah, it can't be undone Mm -hmm. and nothing can make up for it.
0: And now we want to segue into the second part of our show where we highlight an individual or organization working to dismantle racist health practices. And we just wanted to circle back and just talk more about Dr. Joy Carter. As we mentioned earlier, she played a pivotal role in helping to make sure Jocelyn did not spend the rest of her life behind bars over a blatantly false autopsy report. Dr. Carter, she was the first Black chief medical examiner in U.S. history. That's crazy. The first. Yeah, I wonder how many have come after her. But after pointing out this case, there definitely needs to be more and how with Marilyn, they're starting to look at Previous autopsy reports and just see if there was medical bias in place. So there's definitely a need. And she was also the former chief medical examiner for Houston, Texas, and the first black medical examiner in the entire state of Texas. She was also former chief pathologist for Indianapolis, Indiana. And Dr. Carter has nearly 40 years of experience in the pathology field, forensic pathology. In addition, she was also one of the authors on an eye-opening research study published in the Journal of Forensic Science in 2021. So this study, they took over 100 forensic scientists and they presented them with identical medical evidence in a hypothetical case that involved the death of a child. And the results of the study showed that the deaths were more likely to be ruled an accident if the child was white and the caregiver was a grandmother. They were more frequently ruled a homicide when the child was black and being cared for by the mother's boyfriend. The study pointed out that Judgments that ought to be based on science can become clouded by prejudice when medical examiners allow their findings to be affected by information that is not medically relevant.
1: And like that proves it where the race of those involved has nothing to do with you focusing on the facts, on the science Mm -hmm. of you looking at this body and you figuring out from all the things that are present. What actually happened? What led to the death of this person? Your Mm -hmm. job is in science and you should just Mm -hmm. be focusing on the science.
0: Mm -hmm. And instead of looking at this report and the findings and saying, oh, what can we learn from this? What can we do to kind of not let our own judgment and biases creep into the scientific methods? Mm -hmm. The report received a lot of backlash from those in the pathology field. Of course, the pathologists, they weren't happy with being called out for their bias. And the National Association of Medical Examiners complained that the study had been poorly designed and improperly conducted. One association member filed an ethics complaint against Dr. Carter and three of the other forensic pathologists listed as authors claiming that the paper would do irreparable damage to our profession. One of the authors suggested retracting the paper simply to end the controversy. He was like, I can't sleep at night because of all the hate I am receiving and also in frustration, Dr. Carter, who spent years trying to expand racial representation in the profession, resigned as head of the organization's diversity committee. So instead of looking at the report and saying, oh, hey, this is a problem, like we should address it. We need to do something. They're like, no, take it back. It's wrong.
1: The fact that you're just like, oh, this is going to do so much damage to our profession. And why don't you just like take it back and act like it never happened? Because, you know, I'm receiving so much hate when you're not acknowledging that you wield so much power in that profession Mm -hmm. and you're talking about you're you're having so much damage done to your career, your field of study. You are destroying lives. You are destroying Mm -hmm. families. And Mm -hmm. you can't even acknowledge that like you're wrong. It's called being accountable. You have to acknowledge in whatever field you work in that you can be wrong. You can make mistakes and you should then be working to correct them, especially in this field when like your reports, your findings could literally end someone's entire life. You could do something that they could never come back from. Mm -hmm. And your word about like, oh, I can't sleep because of all the hate when it's just like, like deservedly so. People are just like, what the hell are y'all doing? And instead of going, oh, wait a second. Yeah, this, this is a problem. And like you said, if you're like questioning the study, it should be like, hey, we hear what you're saying, but we, we have a question about the methods that we use. Why don't we do this study again? Why don't we try to open it up to more people? Let's really mm-hmm. dig into this and really figure out what's going on and let's correct this because you really care about people and we both know at the end of the day these are a bunch of white men who are pushing mm-hmm. back on this and saying no 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 leave us alone we know what we're doing there's no problems here when it like there are so many problems there like you have to be able to acknowledge that you are not perfect. Therefore you will make mistakes. Absolutely. And it's mm-hmm. all about being accountable for that and trying to correct them, especially as soon as possible. But, but when you can clearly see that this isn't like a one-off, this is something that is heavily embedded. And the yeah. whole reason why we have our podcast to talk about how racism is just embedded in everything and mm-hmm. healthcare too. Like you you have to face it head on and you have to be proactive. You have to be preventative. You can't just go, oh, well, I don't feel like changing because what, you're racist and you don't really care? Mm-hmm. Like why don't why don't you wanna acknowledge that y'all ain't doing the best you could do? You turn in raggedy ass reports.
0: Right. And just have so much backlash and like, no, no, this is wrong, this is wrong versus looking at it and just getting to the root and like, Mm -hmm. how can we address this? How can we do better? How can we improve? And like you basically said, so many people's lives are affected by your reports and your findings. So this needs to be as accurate as possible. There needs to be Mm -hmm. checks and balances in place to make sure that we are doing it right.
1: Yes. And then I can understand Dr. Carter being a Black woman, being the first in so many ways Mm -hmm. in this field, being such a pioneer where, again, like we said, like she is over 40 years of experience in this going, you know what? I throw my hands up. Like, I'm done with y'all. I can't. It is. Mm -hmm. Y'all wore this woman down to the point of like, she was trying and had been trying. And she does continue to in other ways because she continues to do her work. And she's a Mm -hmm. consultant and and trying to help other people.
0: But Mm -hmm. like
1: she was done with y'all because y'all, y'all weren't trying to change. Y'all don't want to change because y'all don't see anything wrong. And y'all don't see anything wrong because you're racist and you Mm -hmm. don't actually really care about making sure that innocent people aren't like subjected to your bullshit.
0: Mm -hmm. And like I said, Dr. Carr, she got into the field. Opened the door for many other Black and minority people interested in the forensic science field to come behind her. And also, just Emberly's case is not the only case she's reached out to be an expert on to just Mm -hmm. review autopsies that were wrong as well. I believe she consulted on the George Floyd's case as well. So she's, like I said, she's continuing to call out the racial biases that are present in this field. And she's going against the tide, you know, she's fighting. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's important that we highlight cases like Jocelyn and individuals like Dr. Carter that are working to fight against just the racism that's just embedded in our healthcare system. And Dan Simon, a professor of law and psychology who served for six years on the federal committee, on a federal committee whose goal was to create better forensic standards, he said, medical examiners have been uniquely resisting to adopting to reforms. And basically, translate that, they don't want to change their ways. And he said, This is a serious problem because it creates the perfect storm. Critics say that reluctance to admit to the possibility of bias combined with the lack of diversity in a profession and a traditionally cozy relationship with law enforcement can increase the chances of racial disparities when medical examiners make mistakes.
1: Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to suggest a topic we should discuss or share your own personal story, email us at distrustanddisparities at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Please rate, review, and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at distrustanddisparities and on Twitter at distrustpod. Thank you.